Yeah, it's, we're very excited to have those of you who are visiting, supporting your families. Uh, glad that you're here. Welcome. Uh, happy you're here with us this morning. Um, this is uh, maybe a little bit different for you because this is a Vision Sunday, so this is kind of like a family meeting a little bit where we're talking about where God's taking us. So if you're new with us, um, you know, it's ca- not kind of a normal message Sunday. It's a little bit different, but uh, I don't know. I'm sure that uh, God will uh, give you whatever you need in the middle of that, too. That's how he works. So um, I, I'd like you to picture with me, you know, there's, there, there's a whole bunch of kids in our world who don't have the privilege of being brought up in a home here in America with uh, parents and, and the stabilities and securities of that. You know, our world is full all over the, the, the face of the globe, our kids who we refer to as orphans who don't have uh, parents, you know, and some countries... Uh, have a problem with not knowing at all what to do with kids who are orphaned. You know, one of the countries that really struggles is in Russia. You know, Russia's been in the news recently around uh, the issue with their orphans and, you know, whether or not uh, U.S. citizens are able to adopt people from Russia has been a big deal recently because of political stuff and all of that. Well, in the middle of that, you know, there are um, roughly a million orphans in Russia who are in orphanages. And uh, those orphanages are uh, pretty rough, you know. And Russia's not probably the worst in the world that way, but, uh, but it's pretty rough. And so I want you to imagine with me a 12-year-old girl, okay, and, and she has been in this orphanage. And the orphanage, you know, it's packed in tight, very, very tight, uh, somewhat of a big building, but just jammed with kids. And there's very few staff. They're understaffed. There's not very many volunteers. They're under budget. So there's hardly very, very little food. Like the biggest treat ever is when they get a piece of fruit, you know. Uh, the, it's just drab. It's dreary. Very rarely is there good plumbing, if at all. There aren't places to wash the clothes. It's nasty. You know, there's a disease and sickness running all through the place. And you can imagine if you are the a person who's trying to manage all of that, you're pulling your hair out trying to figure out just how to take care of the most basic needs when you're understaffed and under budget of these kids. Now imagine this little girl who's been raised in this environment, okay? And think about her for a second and how this works. She's a little girl. First, she's a baby. And as she's a baby, she's hungry. And so she's crying. But there's a bunch of other babies crying. And no one can get to her in any short period of time. So she just learns to cry, and then eventually she doesn't cry. And sometimes you go into orphanages, and they're really quiet. Because the kids are like, what's the point of crying? Because no one comes, you know? And so the range of emotion in a kid, see what happens is then she gets a little older and and there's already a dreariness in this place, but then she starts to have a conflict with one of the other kids there and she goes and tries to get help, but there's no one to help because there's too many other issues going on. And she's hurting and she's emotionally struggling, but there's no one there to actually help her out and to help her process her emotions. So just like she learned to stop crying when she was a baby, now she learns to stop feeling. Because feelings are just painful and there's nowhere to go with them. And then, you know, there's always kind of this hope and this imagination that she's heard about this thing, you know, families. And she's heard about this thing out there that people have that she doesn't know. And she's kind of imagined what that would be like. But after a while, she finds that those dreams are the very things that hurt her. And so, again, like she learned to stop crying and like she learned to stop feeling these emotions. Now she stops imagining and her imagination is gone, and her feelings are gone, and the range of her emotions and the range of her imagination gets very, very small, and she starts to look a little more like a machine than a person. And she's kind of a cog in the wheel, and she's learning to do her chores and live within this structure and hope that she gets something to eat. And the problem, of course, is there's this cycle, and oftentimes by the time these kids get to 15, they've been in this structure their whole life, and then they're released out into the world without any ability to to figure out what to do. And then what do they do? Well, they turn to all sorts of things to try to figure it out, and they end up getting into a situation where uh, now they have kids, and those kids become orphans. And many of the orphans in Russia are the product of orphans in Russia. And the the issue, you know, the, the cycle that happens. Well, imagine this girl. She's 12 years old, and this is what's been happening to her. And then one day this family comes into the orphanage, and they decide that they're going to adopt her. 
and she goes with them. She doesn't even really speak their language or anything. She doesn't know what they're talking about. And she sits in this room, and there's people who are signing papers, and there's all sorts of stuff going on in this room. And next thing she knows, she's with them in a car headed to an airport. And there was this ceremony that just happened, so to speak, where these papers were signed. She's officially got parents now. So does her life just all of a sudden change? Well, in some ways, I mean, it changes, right? I mean, you know, like she's in a car and she's going somewhere else. But her heart, her mind, her imagination, her psyche, her emotions, does does that just come back all of a sudden? No, of course not. It's not like all of a sudden you have parents, so now all of that, those years of learning are just just gone, you know, and and now all of a sudden you function in a different mentality. It's going to take a long period of time for this girl's heart and her mind to readjust, right? And that... And, and that long period of time, it's not just, hey, I got adopted back there and now I go live my life the way I did again in this orphanage. It actually takes this environment of a family where she can fall and hurt herself and have a mom run over and say, are you okay? Where she can have a conflict with her brother or sister and that there's someone actually arbitrating that. Where there's dis- personalized discipline in her life that actually is helping to see things change. They actually remember her birthday and they celebrate it. And she watches how everyone acts and she looks at the kids in the house, the other kids in the house, and she sees these wild range of emotions that she knows nothing of. And over time, in all of this difficulty, potentially there's the possibility that she begins to soften and that she begins to see life a little bit differently again. And this is, this is the journey of someone who has been an orphan and is trying to become a daughter. And it doesn't happen just through an adoption. It happens through a process of living in a family. But that thing only works because of the adoption. The adoption is the promise, the commitment to enter into this institution of family, you know, that she knows nothing about and to experience what it's all about. Today's Vision Sunday, and and, and why am I talking about, you know, this little girl who's an orphan? Because, frankly, the last time we had a Vision Sunday, we talked uh, in September about God raising up a firefly army. Those of you who were here might remember that. What we talked about was like, (coughs) excuse me, we live in a world that is full of kind of that mentality of of the orphan mentality where I'm kind of on my own and I'm self-reliant and I'm independent and I'm selfish and I just got to figure out how to do my thing because there's nothing bigger than me and it's all my mindset and, and whatever works for me and I live in that world of darkness. And God, hopefully, we see light streaming out of a church family and out of a church building and we are drawn into that light where we experience the warmth and the love of a father who adopts us and who brings us into a home and where we struggle and where we learn to have our minds and our hearts reoriented to figure out what does it mean to be a child of the living God? What does that mean? I mean, it's one thing that God, that Jesus died on a cross and made it possible that God could love me again and he adopts me and brings me into the home. But what does that actually mean for my life? I've lived in this other way where I'm the God of my own life. You know, where I'm, I don't have anyone else. And now to try to learn to live in a completely different mentality, that doesn't happen just because I said a prayer to receive Jesus as my Savior and all of a sudden I go from being someone who was independent and selfish to all of a sudden, hey man, I'm a light for Jesus. And now everywhere I go, I walk with joy and I walk into a place of turmoil and I have peace and I bring light into my environment. It doesn't work that way. But God is calling us to come into that home, come into that place, and to be transformed. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that the veil gets taken off of our faces and we behold the full glory of God. And as we look into the face of Christ, we are transformed from glory into glory with ever-increasing glory. In other words, as I learn to feel and experience and know and believe in and trust the love of God, 
then I become love. And the fruits of the Spirit start to produce themselves in my life. But that doesn't just magically happen because of some prayer. What happens is, is I'm entering into a covenant community where we are experiencing and encouraging and, and exhorting one another and rebuking one another and experiencing this whole thing of what does it mean to be the children of God. And in time, he takes us through a process where we learn to be the people of God. And ultimately, the picture is we go out of the place and we carry that light with us and we set, you find like fireflies, this is what we call it, the firefly army, like fireflies coming out of this place of light, taking the light of Jesus back to our family, back to our workplace, back to the place where you work out, back to the place where you go grocery shopping, back to the place where your kids play soccer, or back to where they have music lessons, or, or to the school where you attend, and we take the light of Jesus with us. And while the circumstances might not be perfect for us by any means, they haven't changed, I've changed. And now that I've changed, I walk back into this place and I am the one who is bringing the light of the gospel into this place because I act differently than everyone else around me. Why? Because they still believe that they're orphans who don't have anyone they can trust. But I know that my father loves me. And I know that even in this dark circumstance, I can trust him. And there's peace in my heart. So people begin to see something different in me. And it looks peculiar. And all across our land, as that begins to happen, and as lights begin to crop up, it's almost like there's a dawn from the darkness. And a dawn begins to emerge, but it's not because a sun rose in the sky. It's because people are emanating a life that reveals that they have been deeply loved and forgiven and that they are secure in the love of God. But of course, again, that doesn't happen by just saying a prayer. That happens because, see, what, what, what happens is that when we are saved, when we are, are receiving the salvation of Christ, it says that, that salvation needs to work itself out with fear and trembling. It needs to work itself out to every corner of my being so that when I'm in difficult circumstances, I still emanate the light of Christ. And that doesn't happen overnight. And it needs the context, the covenant community, for that to take place. We need the family unit to go from being from a place of being an orphan to being a place where we know what it means to be a son or a daughter of the living God. And that takes that community. So in 2013, what we believe is happening at Parker Ford Church is we said that God's calling us out of the places of darkness to become Firefly Army, to invade places of darkness. But what we think is happening, particularly in 2013, is that God is helping us develop all that's necessary to grow in biblical community, in that sense of family, and in the development of discipleship. What does it take for us to consistently learn to follow Jesus and to be with each other? And how does that expand in our church as the numbers in our church continue to expand? Because there are more and more people who are saying, I don't want to be an orphan anymore. I don't want to live in darkness. I don't want to be a slave to the junk in my life, just a slave to the grind. I want to experience the fullness of life that Jesus called me to. And so they find their way to a warm church where it seems like there's a presence of God and they want to experience that. But what happens when this family who adopted this girl from Russia all of a sudden has 15 new kids come into the home? Now, all of a sudden, it's a little bit trickier to maintain that sense of family, you know, and to keep up with that and to really still show the personal attention to everyone and everything. And that's what happens in a church when you see God moving. And then there's a, a number of people who are like, I want to be a part of that. You know, like I need to experience God. And they come in, and then, well, now the infrastructure needs help if we're going to keep things where they need to be in order to experience the fullness of God. And you've seen staffing at Parker Ford Church has been aligned accordingly. Dave Willauer has come on board as an administrative pastor to kind of help facilitate the communication because if we're going to have good family communication, but we're an expanding family, yeah, well, now it's a little more complicated. So you've seen the information center out in front of the office. The blog has emerged as a way of communicating. He's working at a church database for us to figure out all these things. Are, how do we still maintain the ability to communicate when we continue to expand? You know, that's infrastructure. Josh Hostetter has come on staff part-time as a pastor of discipleship ministries where there's journey groups. Well, well, we can't just have a fellowship meal and all know each other anymore. Our church has grown by over 100%. It's, we're still a small church, but we can't get to know everyone personally. It feels a little bigger than just me and my kids around the, the family room 
you know, or the, uh, the dining room table. You know, it's gotten a little bigger than that. So how do we continue to maintain a sense of community and grow in discipleship? Well, that's where the groups start to emerge so we can get to know each other in pockets and, and that type of thing and, and learn to grow. And so Josh has been working at that. Josh Bitework continues to go after, spend a lot of his time in prayer. Because we understand that unless the light of the gospel is continuing to flow and God's presence is here, well, then it's all for naught anyway. You know, we can build a system where we're trying to pump out disciples, but it's not actually a family where God's present. And then we're a manufacturing company trying to kick out disciples. We're not actually a family where we're learning to know and love one another. And that takes a whole lot of intentionality on a staff and leadership level, but it takes a whole lot more than just running a church for that to happen. It takes the commitment of us as individuals to be a family. That we're not just showing up at a church service and getting our fix for the week, that we're actually a family. That's what it takes. It takes a sense of community, a family, to travel this journey with God. When we, when he, when we want to experience the fullness of what he has for us, we need to have that covenant community where we journey it together. So we're going to spend the rest of our time, the remainder of our time, talking about that. But I want you to pray with me before we do. <coughs> Father, uh, the fact that we can call you Father. Jesus starts off that Lord's Prayer with our Father. And he doesn't just say my Father. He says our Father. And he brings us into this. You know, this moment of like, you are actually our dad. And by doing it, by definition, he's not only bringing us into a place where we have the heavenly father, but we have Jesus as our a co-heir. We are co-heirs with Christ. He's a brother, the older brother. And, and we are connected and all become family. There's this sense of we're brought into something. And it's a beautiful thing. But God, you know, uh, we know that in the American church, we just struggle these days. We've learned to kind of consume everything and use everything and be our own gods and patch and plug things into our life the way we see fit. And the whole structures, the institutions, the units of, of family, of marriage, of parenting, of church, of all those things, they've really struggled recently. Because we've become kind of our own lords and we've become independent islands. And God, uh, to, to see that work in a church where there continues to be expansion it, uh, it is a very, very tricky thing. And we don't think we're wise enough or smart enough or strong enough or wealthy enough or anything to pull that off. We believe that that's a work of the power of the Holy Spirit moving in us, God, defining for us what church community looks like and then bringing us into it. So God, we ask that today as we discuss this a little bit and as we look at it a little more, that, uh, that you guide us through that process in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, uh, you know, this is, this is how it works, that if God wants to get me from point A to point B, there always has to be a covenant community because the stuff of working that out, it has to happen in difficulty. It doesn't just happen in blessing. So, you know, like, it's not like when God wants to teach me something, it can't be all positive. It can't just be, he's going to craft this so well that it looks so attractive to me that I can get a hold of that and I'm just going to go after it and discipline myself to do things God's way. It doesn't work like that because we're weak and we stink and, you know, we try really hard to do God's thing, but we can't do it. And so God has to change our minds. And the way he changed our minds is to take us through a process right? And that's, I always get to this place um, in pre-marriage counseling with people that's uh, a little bit of a painful spot, okay? When, and uh, particularly, it, well, there's always this moment where, you know, uh, often a moment where a, a marriage, uh, a pre-marriage couple, an engaged couple will come and say they want to get married, and they're kind of envisioning that this stepping into marriage is going to be like the culmination of their romance, you know? And there, there's, it's dreamy. And for those who have actually lived within the qualities of God's scripture and the demands of God's scripture. And they have actually remained very uh, 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 colloquial in the relate or, or very, uh, what's the word? Um, they, they've kept things at a friendship level and haven't engaged in deep intimacy with each other and all of that. There is actually a sense in which as they step into this covenant relationship, they're going to experience things in their relationship, emotionally, spiritually, physically, that they haven't experienced before. You know, and, and there is a level of culmination that's happening. But what I actually have to say to, to any person who's coming into the 
pre-marriage class, I said, you do realize what it is you're signing up for, right? I mean, that, that what this actually is, by definition, what marriage is. This, I'm, I'm not about to tell you some of the struggles that come with marriage. What I'm going to tell you is what the very definition of marriage is. The definition of marriage is, I'm going to stick with you when it's rough. That's the definition. That's what a covenant first relationship is all about. See, marriage isn't just about my wife and I. You know, I, I could define marriage as the relationship between Jen and I, but marriage existed long before Jen and I, and it'll exist long after Jen and I. And while that's my experience of marriage, marriage is a much bigger thing. It's this thing in our world that we call an institution, you know? And everybody says, and if you're not careful, it'll put you in one, right? The, 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 the institution of marriage is actually a definition. It's a pattern in our society that shows us something. It's a cultural template, a placeholder that says there's a different kind of relationship that's very, very important, that it isn't just about compatibility. It's not just about what works for me. It's not just about things that feel good. It's not even just about a contract. You do this for me and I'll do that for you. It's beyond a contractual relationship. It's beyond a comfort relationship. It's beyond a compatibility relationship. That was three C's. I should have alliterated that. That was, But this is actually about a covenant relationship. Four C's. Holy cow. Um, so, sorry. Stream of consciousness. Uh, and was, so this isn't, this isn't, this is a different kind of relationship. And what happens in this relationship is that this is, but it doesn't matter if we're going to be compatible. It doesn't matter if the, the contract is working out and if we're in negotiations that are, it doesn't matter if we're still feeling comfortable in here. We've made a covenant. And that is because of this, because we believe that there are some things in life that can't be learned unless it's covenant first. And that's why God puts this in place. I mean, the real reason we go after marriage is because that's how God tells us to do it. But the reason he puts it in place is because he knows that we can't experience the fullness of love unless it's based first on covenant, not first on experience. And so what he calls us into is this covenant relationship because he's trying to teach us this incredible principle. And what's the principle? That it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. But see, my natural inclination in a fallen and sinful world is that relationships are for me about receiving. And yes, I have to give, but I give in order to get. And a covenant relationship says, it doesn't matter what I'm getting, I'm choosing to give. And that's the definition of marriage. And it's always this awkward thing in pre-marriage counseling where it's like kind of the wake-up call of like, you do realize that this isn't, no matter how fun this thing has been so far, the step that you're making is not a step to say this is going to be more fun because of this. It's saying what we want from here on out is to learn through the stuff that might not be fun, but to still grow deeper and to be with each other. That's marriage, okay? It's the same thing. Sometimes people go into marriage after all of that and still kind of have that mindset and they can kind of pull it off because if you're in America and you have enough money you can and, and you have enough time and you have good jobs you can still kind of make it work where it's like you're doing what you want to do I do what I want to do we're cohabitating we're having fun together and uh, we're kind of supporting each other in the stuff that we like to do and have fun and we go on dates or do whatever and that's cool we're enjoying there's kind of that moment of really enjoying each other and that's awesome that's all part of it but what there's always this wake-up call well, often a wake-up call for, for a couple who's in that situation, and it's called a kid, okay? And when the kid comes along, all of a sudden everything changes, you know? It was like, it was all like, it was all about us being able to do our thing, and we were partners in like, let's go and have fun together. And then all of a sudden the kid shows up, and the kid does not care at all what you think is fun. Not one bit. You know, in the middle of the night, the kid screams. And the kid is like, you need to care about what I think is important. I don't really care what you think is important. And all of a sudden, covenant relationship is right up in our face. And we thought we signed an agreement of covenant relationship when we signed on to marriage, but we didn't really know what we were signing. But the kid is the one who's bringing it home for us. You know, and the kid's like, let me tell you what covenant relationship is. It's you take care of me when I give you nothing. That's what a covenant relationship is. And I am here, God's gift to you, to help you learn that. 
you know? And every now and then the kid will give you a smile, you know? And sometimes you're like, oh, one little blessed thing that was awesome. Or sometimes you're like, wipe that smile off your face. You have no idea how much pain you've caused me, you know? And, you know, this is, this is the child. The child changes the game and actually brings more reality to us about what covenant relationship is all about. But the beautiful thing is, is it's also in that that we learn to grow up. It's also in that that we learn the depth of what love and relationship is all about. And sometimes the, the things that were fun and comfort aren't actually the things that are the deepest and the richest in life. That there's more to be had than those surface, comfortable, fun things. That if I lived my whole life that way, I'd get to the end and realize I never became one of the fireflies. I never lived out the full purpose of my life. And after a while, all the stuff that was fun, it started to get a little bit old after a while. And left me feeling a little empty. But a kid doesn't let you get there. You know, and and a kid changes that because it brings to reality what the contract is. Now, here's where I want to break this down a little bit. Okay, we taught the baby dedication, by the way, is that moment where it's like the marriage vows, you know, where we stand before God and we make this commitment and we don't know what all that commitment means. We just know that this is God's way and this is the covenant and we're going after it. And who knows what's going to come after this, but we're making our commitment, you know, and that's baby dedication of saying we're going to raise this kid to be in God's family. Okay, we can't ultimately make an adult decision for our kid. But what we can do is say that we are going to raise this child according to God's principles and in God's home. And whether or not that seems super fun to the kid in the moment, we're still going to do what we're supposed to do, which is bring the kid and be a part of this whole thing together. We're going to take Deuteronomy 6 very seriously, that it it rests upon the parents to invest the scriptures into their kids. And then as a church community, we're going to try to help each other out and support each other in that. And we're going to be a part of this together. And we're going to try to make it as fun as possible for the kids so it's not all painful. And so that, you know, like they actually appreciate this. But even when they don't appreciate it, we're going to understand they can't make the decisions for themselves. And it's my job as the parent to raise them the best I can within this environment. That's the commitment of a baby baby dedication. There's no magical thing that happens where my kids are going to heaven now because we did a baby dedication or because, you know, you know, I can assure that now my kids are going to be great. You know, no, there's a decent chance that all sorts of craziness is going to happen. But I'm making a covenant before God to raise my kids according to him, much like in marriage, we're making a covenant. Okay. And then it starts that covenant relationship in the church. When we are living in worlds of darkness, but called to be a firefly army, you know, and we're making the transition like a a girl with an orphan mentality, learning to be a daughter, there has to be something that we are committing to that we are a part of that we are consistently invested in by which we travel this journey. And in the Old Testament, Josh just took us through that last week when he did the, in his downloading the Bible series that he's working through with us, there was the Exodus, you know, and he gave us the overview of Exodus. And you remember what happened? They went from Egypt to the promised land. And it looks like at at first blush, what that looks like is it looks like God's changing their circumstances to make their life better. That he's taking them out of this like oppressive environment. And then he's going to change the circumstances over here and give them what they always dream of. When in actuality, what God's doing is, is he's taking them onto a journey, on a journey into a relationship with him and with each other. And he's redefining their identity and who they are. That's what's actually happening. And so they have this big moment where they have sort of this thing, this institutionalized covenant that happens where they paint blood of a lamb over a door and they have this Passover feast and then God takes them out of that place and he baptizes them through the Red Sea and they come up out of the Red Sea and they stand around Mount Sinai and God reads his family rules, 10 of them. And the first four are how you respect dad. You have no gods before me, that you don't use my name in vain, that you respect the Sabbath, that we have special time together. And, you know, you... and. So he lays out the rules. There's no idols. And he lays out those rules about how we respect dad. And then the next six are about how, when you guys are becoming this nation, this people of God, what are the family rules for each other? Well, you don't kill each other, okay? And you don't steal from each other. You don't lie to each other. You don't cheat on each other. You don't covet each other. And he goes on and continues to tell us the rules for each other. The rules for him, the rules for each other. And then he has this big thing. He says, 
don't sign this covenant with me. I'm telling you. Like, this is basically, there's clouds, there's smoke, there's lightning. And he's like, you have no idea what you're signing. Don't do it. Because if you sign this, then I'm going to hold you to it. You know, and they're like, no, we want you to be our God. And he's like, well, then here's the rules. And they're like, okay, we're in, you know. And he's like, all right, I will always be your dad. I will always provide for you. I will always take care of you. I will always love you. But you have to be committed to me and to one another. And then they start a journey through the wilderness. And in that wilderness, they learn to receive bread from heaven and birds from heaven. And they learn how to depend on God and they learn how to whine and complain and how God reacts when they do. And they learn how, what happens when they interface with each other and how rough it gets. And they learn about power struggles when they say, Moses, who are you trying to tell us what to do? And they learn all these family dynamics. And in the process, what God's trying to teach them is that he loves them, that he's got them that there's security, that they have an identity in him. And to change them from this mindset where they were slaves under Pharaoh to where they are children of the living God. In the New Testament, that whole thing takes on a new shape. You remember how it starts? Jesus walking up to a bunch of guys who are fishing, and he says, come follow me. I'm going to take you from being in a world of darkness. I'm going to take you from just being a fisher of fish to be a fisher of men. You know, I'm going to take you from a world of darkness and make you into a firefly army. Come follow me. And they're like, okay. And so they go. And they don't know what they're getting into yet, you know. But they're like, all right, we'll go. And they go. And then the night before he's crucified, of course, they're sitting around the table and they've been through this huge journey with him. And he sits around and he takes the bread and he breaks the bread and he says, this is my body broken for you. And then he, he takes the wine and he pours the wine into a glass. And, and he says, this wine is the, what? New covenant in my blood the new covenant in my blood. And so this covenant, he's establishing a new kind of relationship. He's establishing, just like marriage is defined, just like all these, these parenting, child, family relationships are defined, he just defined a new relationship. When you break this bread and you consume it, when you drink this blood, this wine, and you consume that, what this covenant is, this is a vow that we're saying to each other that I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. And this is why Jesus says earlier in the book of John, where he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And they all said, this teaching is too hard. And they start to bail because they understand the expectation of what this means. Some of them are like, wow, this is cannibalism and it's weird and we don't get it. Others they might even understand what it means. And they're like, I'm not selling out 100% for you. Like, man, I, before it was tough enough when we were trying to give 10% of our income in the Old Testament law. Now you're telling me to give my whole life to you and to die to self and live for you. That's nuts, you know? And Jesus is saying, unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have no part with me. You die, I live. The Father in heaven will find great approval and love for you. But when you die and you rise with me, when you come up, you are only now a member of the body of Christ. Your old individual self is now gone, much like when you join a marriage. And the two are no longer, there is now only the one. Okay, and that's the picture of what happens in a biblical community, and he's defining this. And after that, he dies, he rises from the dead, and then there's this amazing moment called Pentecost. And at Pentecost, Peter preaches this message that cuts people to the heart, where they have this experience. You've had the experience, right? This is, all right, here's the picture. Let's take it out of the religious realm for a second and go back. This is like when you walk into that classroom and you see that girl, for the first time, you know, or when you walk in to, uh, where did you meet your person? Where else did somebody meet a couple other than a classroom church? Okay. You walk into church. There we go. Awesome. Who said that you ding, ding, ding met the girl at church. So you, you walk in and you see this guy across the room at church and you see him and heart goes pitter patter, you know, and then you go to like some church event with them and you have this experience and it's like, wow, they're really kind of cool. And you're like drawn to them. And all of a sudden, the imagination opens up and the, and the emotions open up. And there's this new feeling that emerges. And it's like, wow, there's this moment. But then what? Right? Then what do you do? Because now, see, relationships in our society have categories. 
And if we, and, and in the scriptures, they have categories. And if we're going to go according to God's principles, there's this ultimate category of the relationship where maybe this relationship could ultimately fit into that category of marriage. You know, that's the ultimate culmination of the thing. Maybe it could fit in there. Well, in the same way, what happens at Pentecost is there's a whole bunch of people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. They don't know the truth. They've been living in the world of darkness. They've been the girl in the Russian orphanage who their imagination has shrunk and their feelings have, have uh, you know, compressed and there's very little left. And now what happens is, is Peter preaches this message and the Holy Spirit is there and something's happening and their eyes are opening and they realize life's different than I thought it was and they're aware of a whole new level of things going on and they're like, whoa, what do we do? And here it is, okay? So this is chapter two of Acts Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other, other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Which is an awesome question to ask. Awesome question to ask. Okay, I just had this encounter with God. That was cool, but now what? And that's a very important question to ask. If you've had an encounter with God, if you've had your eyes open, if you've experienced something, it's very important to ask the next question. This should mean something. If I just had a meaningful exchange with this person from the opposite gender where we really cared about each other and we're both young and single, well, now what? Was that, what, what was that thing? You know, and where do you go with that thing? And that's what's happening here. They were cut to the heart. They experienced things. And so what does Peter reply? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, this is really important. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Why is that important? This is why. Because this wasn't just about those people and God in that moment. Any more than marriage is just about my wife and I, you know? It's much bigger. And what he's saying is there's a new kind of relationship to be had. There's a new community forming. And this thing that I'm telling you, to be baptized and to repent, to turn from the way things used to be and to embrace this new life, this is true for anyone whom God is calling. For your children, this will be true generations from now, and it'll be true for people on the other side of the earth, that this is how it works. That when you have this moment with God, and he brings you to a sense of reality, and you understand the purpose of the cross, and you understand the redemption and the grace of God, what do I do with that? Well, what I do with it is I turn away from my life over here. The satisfaction I used to figure out in my life how to satisfy myself, you know, how to find the things that worked for me in order to make myself happy. I used to live life the way that made sense to me, but now I'm letting go of all of that because I'm baptized in the name of Jesus. And what that means is, is I am dying to self and emerging as a member of the body of Christ. I no longer live. Christ now lives. I am joining something. I'm joining this institution that he calls the church. And we're like, institution and church. That's like the institutionalized church. That thing's rough, you know. The institution of the church is no different than the institution of marriage or the institution of the family. It's about a relationship. But there are patterns that are a part of that that are really important that we're signing on to and jumping into when we choose to trust Christ. And so this is what he says in verse 40. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Very important part. That's that darkness, that mentality of, of the orphan or the slave in Egypt, you know, that he's calling us, he's inviting us into something else. But we actually have to leave that mindset behind. We are no longer in charge of our lives. Our lives are no longer lived in isolation and alone. We are joining something else. And so he says, come out and be separate. And then he says, those who, says, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. How do you maintain a sense of family and community when 3,000 people are added in one day? It's a very, very difficult thing. I never realized how tough that math was until I became a pastor. And I started to be a part of a growing church, you know? And we're not growing like, you know, 3,000 people a day, you know? We're growing a, a family here, or there, a couple here, or there. But like as, as that starts to happen, I mean, we've grown by 100% in the last few years. So, you know, many people who uh, weren't here a few years ago are here now and they're all new. And how do you get everyone to all of a sudden feel like family and still have that covenant community? That's not an easy thing, you know. And so 
What does it look like? Well, for them, this is what it looked like. Verse 42. And if you were here a year ago, you remember we had a whole series just on this verse right here, verse 42. And there's paintings on the wall coming in here about word fellowship, ordinances and prayer that are from that uh, sermon series. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. <coughs> Excuse me. If you were here for that sermon series, you'll remember this, that that word devoted, It's a very important word. It's the most important word. It's the operative word in that verse. The word devoted, what does that mean? I remember the analogy we talked about. If I have interest in golf, that means I watch it on TV. If if I have uh, discipline in golf... Then, or, then that means that you know, I go out and actually practice my swing. If I have commitment to golf, it means that I go and do it often. If I'm devoted to golf, that means I'm a golf guy. That's who I am. I've burned my other bridges. This is what I'm about. You know, that's what the word devoted actually means. That it doesn't mean interest. It doesn't mean commitment. It doesn't mean discipline. It means I'm all in. That's what it means. They devoted themselves to the word. They devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to the practice of the ordinances and they devoted themselves to fellowship, to interaction with each other. And it was through that devotion that we see the picture of what this family looks like. Verse 43, everyone was filled with all and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by all the apostles. You see how they were experiencing stuff all the time that was really cool? You know how in the Christian faith we have these moments where we really would like to, same thing in marriage, right? We'd like to experience goodness from it all the time. And in, and in uh, the Christian faith, we'd like to experience goodness all the time. But we struggle for that, with that. And here's one of the reasons. Because in Mark 2.22, Jesus says this. If he's pouring out new wine, don't put it in old wineskins. Because old wineskins are hard and calcified. And once the new wine starts to ferment, it'll burst the, the wineskin. And, and the wine will just pour out all over the place. And then, you know, it's, we're back to, it's dry again. And so what he's saying is you need new wineskins that can expand with the fermentation of what he's doing, okay? And so when there's this new relationship that's put in place and God's spirit is moving, well, there has to be something that can expand with that, that can grow with that, that can contain that, not in a restrictive way contain it, but that can actually hold it. And because there was the devotion to the community, because they had this covenant community, it's like that family. Because of that, then when the good stuff is happening, they can actually experience it consistently. In other words, if I come to church, and I have this great experience at church, we had this worship experience that was just awesome, or you know, I, I read this new thing in the scriptures, and I saw this truth that just grabbed a hold of my heart, and it was awesome. Well, that's cool, but like two weeks from now, that probably isn't helping me out anymore, because it's give us this day our daily bread, right? And so it's not really working for me anymore, and I'm getting dry. But if I'm in a covenant community, chances are one of the other people is receiving something. And if I'm in relationship with them, well, now together we can keep this thing moving the presence of god that i'm having a hard time work you know is sustaining right now he's working in your life and you're sharing that with me and there's an ebb and a flow and they're meeting together all the time and experiencing the continued movement of god but that's because there's actually a container to hold it and it's this covenant community and this is how it works itself out verse 44 all the believers were together and had everything in common selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see the principles of what was going on. These people were all in. And what's hard is, (coughs) is that in order to be all in, we have to hear that word repent and be baptized. In order for this girl who was in this Russian orphanage to begin to feel what it's like to be a daughter, she actually has to leave what she's known in Russia. She has to get on a plane in in a way that seems very awkward with people who she doesn't know, and they have to make a covenant to each other. And she has to go and live in their house, and she has to learn how to do things very differently, speak a whole different language, and she has to go through all this. But the promise is on the other side that she will begin to act like a daughter and feel like a daughter and become something different and experience freedom. But the journey is a very difficult journey, but it's based in covenant. And this is the same thing that Peter is saying to them. This is how you've lived your life. This is how you've thought. You've been gods of your own life. You've used your own brain to figure out your life. 
but I'm calling you to repent, to step out of the corrupt generation, to turn away from that, to be baptized into Jesus Christ, to enter this home and to begin to journey with other people. And as you're devoted to that, there's an experience that can continue to happen. And there's a a theology that can continue to work itself in us, a mindset, a growing, a worldview that changes us to eventually we become people who now are full of light. And now we don't run from this corrupt generation. We run into it with the light of Jesus Christ as we are transformed. But it takes that devotion, that covenant, that commitment on the inside of that journey to the family. And we say at Parker Ford Church, our mission is that we are PFC, a people following Christ up, in, and out. That we follow him in that relationship where we connect with him personally and intimacy, but we also pursue him in. That's why we're a people following Christ, not just people following Christ. And there's this internal community aspect of it that's really necessary if we're also going to be people who follow him out. And that's what we are. And it takes commitment and covenant. And while baptism, that's what it used to mean. Baptism originally, what it meant was you go down into the waters and when you come up, you're a part of the church, which means now at nighttime, instead of hanging out alone in my home, I'm going to be actually sharing meals with people in the, in the, in the church. What it means is I'm going to go to the temple courts and worship with them. What it means is my finances are no longer just my own, that I'm a part of this community where we take each other. The family just got a whole lot bigger, you know, and that's what the baptism actually meant back then. Unfortunately, baptism has as, as become this big of a deal instead of this big of a deal. Now it's kind of like some artistic symbol of we said a prayer and asked Jesus to be our Savior, and we're showing that we did that by baptism. But it doesn't necessarily mean that we're covenanting with a broader community. And because of that, we don't get to experience what you experience in marriage if you hang in there with your spouse and get the deeper levels of love. Because when we have a problem with someone at church or things don't work out, we can just kind of go back to our normal life. You know, we just go home. We don't even have to leave the church. We just go home and don't talk about it. You know, so we don't have to work through the difficulty. So we don't get to experience the fullness of what God has for us because it's not a covenant community because it's just kind of like where we show up for those who are interested in that thing, you know? And what it takes to actually experience the fullness of it is covenant community. So we have this other thing that the church has done beyond baptism these days, and it's called church membership. And for a while, church membership was this thing where it's like, pay your dues to the Y, and you can go use the facilities, you know? And that's kind of what church membership was like, you know? Come to church and do this, this, and this, go through this class, sign this document, and then you're like, you can vote or something, you know? Um, But what church membership actually is supposed to be is this idea of just like an adoption or just like a marriage. It's it's the moment. It's where we're taking our vows, just like the baby dedication. This is us saying we're in. We're part of the community. We're in this thing together. And that's why at Parker Ford Church, we actually have expectations around membership. And those expectations aren't, hey, you have to do this, this, and this in order to make it into membership. The only way that we're members of the family of God is through the cross. That's it. Only entrance into the the community is because we trust Christ. And that's the first membership expectation is that we've given our lives to Christ, that we trust him as Savior and Lord. God's the Father, okay? We're submitted to him. That's the first expectation. We have a whole bunch of others. I'm not going to go through them right now, actually. I think we're kind of running out of time, so thanks. We'll pull them. There's a, you can look at the expectations. There's, there, um, we have the expectations posted on the information center. You know, there's, there's documents there. Just grab one. And it has the list of expectations. Basically, it's this. Dad's in charge. Here's the family rules, you know. And you don't get kicked out for not obeying the family rules. You're in only because of the grace of God because we break the family rules. It's understood that we break the family rules. We do it all the time. But the way that we learn to submit to God and to grow closer into them is by being in it together, encouraging each other. And there's tons of grace in this thing, but these are still the family rules and we don't lower the bar. And we don't say because of grace, we don't expect biblical living. We do. And we understand that this is is where life is found. So the rules are dad's in charge. We all receive that. (coughs) Excuse me. It's by his grace that we enter and we watch our lives wrap around the word. We understand that we have to be committed to each other. We have to know each other. That means we actually have to build relationships with the church, which means we actually have to be intentional about that. Like a little girl going through a, a, an adoption ceremony, but then never making connections with the family. 
It doesn't actually matter. You can come to a church and show up on a Sunday and have an experience with God, but if we don't actually make inroads into each other's lives, guess what? It's not going to happen. We are not going to become what it is that God wants us to without biblical community in our lives. It will not happen. That's just math. That's not even, that's not even theology. That's just one plus one equals two. That we've got to be a part of the family. It takes relationship. It takes consistency. It means we've got to be a part of the family meal. It means we come consistently to church. We're a part of the discipleship programs. Josh Hostetter, he could run himself silly creating small groups, but unless we're a part of it and engaged and, and helping each other out and learning the relationships, well, it's pointless. It doesn't matter what structures or programs are built in the church unless we actually participate and are devoted and are a part of it. And so it takes that commitment and that devotion on our behalf in order to be a part of that journey where we go from having an orphan mentality to having a son or daughter mentality, where we go from having that slave mentality to being free in God, to be able to enter a dark world and maintain joy and maintain peace and maintain love. And instead of being consumers who receive, we become producers who put off the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this covenant community. And that takes devotion, commitment. It takes financial investment. No? I'll end on this one. This is the last one. Okay? Is that when you covenant to God. In Old Testament, a covenant to God with Abraham, it started with a cutting. A cutting of a very intimate part. You know? It was called circumcision. And that covenant of that intimate part said that the, the most intimate part of me, that I understand that that's, I'm, I'm cutting part of that because it belongs to God. And all that really means is that in the most intimate part of who I am, that God first, God first in the most intimate part. When we get to the New Testament, that becomes the circumcision of the heart is what we're told. That there's a circumcision of the heart, that a part of our heart just gets cut first and gets given to God that our heart is given to God. This is like delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Our job is to first delight in God. And what does the scripture say about directing our heart and how to get our heart somewhere? Where your what is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is. I'm telling you if, you, if you don't financially invest into something, we can tell ourselves that we're committed. We can tell ourselves we're about it. But devotion follows treasure. It's a biblical principle. And God doesn't need the money but in the Old Testament, he put that in the family rules and said 10%, the first 10% of everything you got, just like, the, uh, just like the circumcision in the most intimate part, there's a part of us that goes to God. It, same thing with our bank account, first 10, of 10%. This is our treasure. It goes to God. In the New Testament, you saw that biblical community. They're selling everything and giving it to each other. It was crazy. It was so much bigger and fuller than that. But me taking out a couple bucks and throwing it in the offering plate doesn't actually get my heart engaged in something. It's when it becomes a pattern of my life that what happens is, is I understand that God first, in my finances, in my time, in my family, in all of those things, God first, community of faith. We are a family, a covenant community. And if we want to get from point A to point B, it won't happen just by a ceremony on the front end and a couple cool experiences. That's called cohabitation without marriage. That's what it is. And it doesn't get us what it's actually all about. Covenant gets us there. Living as a true family, being all in, that's what gets us there. We don't want to have some supercomputer and think that it's just a good calculator. You know, there's a whole lot more to the kingdom of God, but it takes covenant. All right. So as we go, um, anytime we have a new members thing and anytime we do Vision Sunday, you'll probably be hearing those expectations. You know, just because that's what it, that's what a family of God looks like. That's what a family looks like. Roll in. All right, let's pray.